0: This message first aired on the radio on August 20th, 2004. We're beginning the epistle to the Colossians, and uh, this is part of a series uh, through nine epistles uh, to seven churches or groups of churches. And we, uh, taking up the epistle to the Colossians, will do as our custom is to try to get a little background geographically and historically about how this church or group of churches began. And for that we don't have any direct references. We'll have to know a little bit about our geography. Colossae is a one of a triad of cities that composed a particular region in Turkey, what is today Turkey, then known as Asia Minor, nearing the western coast. And uh, This uh, group of uh, this triad of, of cities, of the triad of cities Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae, uh, very likely Colossae was the most insignificant in terms of politics, economics, and the social fabric of the day, which of course is the day of the Roman Empire. But spiritually speaking, it is of course very important area, is and very important of the three, insofar as we have this marvelous epistle to the Colossians written by the Apostle Paul from, the, uh, from prison in Rome, uh, we believe, and from the end of that prison term, which we think Uh, Well, it wasn't a prison term, but his house arrest, which we think ended approximately 62 A.D. Well, this is a very mature epistle, and it's a mature epistle, uh, doctrinally oriented, written to a mature group of Christians who are under the spiritual warfare of enemy teaching. Uh, So for the background, let's come back to the book of Acts and chapter 14, and we'll just look a little bit at the uh, geography uh, of that of the particular region, and we'll read quite a bit out of the book of Acts, and we'll just assume that somehow through the work in these cities that are referenced in and around the region of Colossae, that uh, the Colossian, the, Colo- the church of the Colossians, or the churches of the Colossian believers, rose up out of that work. So we'll read with Acts chapter, uh, really Acts chapter 13, where we find the word of God going out to the, to the Gentiles. And, uh, in fact, we find in Acts 13:49, the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city. Now, this city is Antioch in Pisidia, and this is the missionary journey, where the uh, first missionary journey of Barnabas and Paul. And here we see Paul beginning to take the leadership over Barnabas. That's another sub-theme, uh, really, that's going on here. But... Though it says the word of the Lord was published throughout all the regions, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women, the chief men of the city, and raised persecutions against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them out of their coasts or out of their their parts. Uh, but they, that is Paul and Barnabas, shook the dust of, of off shook off the dust of their feet against them, and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude of the Jews and also of the G- Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil-affected against the brethren. Now here's something that you'll see that begins to develop in Asia Minor in the ministry of the early church uh, in Asia Minor. And by the way, in Asia Minor, which is today substantially Turkey, almost uh, all of what you see in the Bible that's uh, in the work in Asia Uh, in Asia is done in uh, what is today modern Turkey. All of this work uh, was highly contested by a growing amalgam or a growing consortium of unbelieving Jews and uh, unbelieving Gentiles who are able to be stirred up by these unbelieving Jews. And here it says, and it made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Now this tendency of the Jews to rise up and to stir up the Gentiles and to uh, to coalesce with the Gentile, form a coalition with the Gentiles against uh, the Christians, which is substantially made up at least first of all of Jews. Uh, this tendency gets its peak and gets its uh, best go uh, in Ephesus as the gospel reaches the pinnacle of truth, uh, it, the pinnacle of its movement in, uh, in Asia Minor, uh, what we might call Western Asia, but Asia Minor, which today as we said is Turkey, uh, it gets its Peak movement there, and then that all comes home into Jerusalem and results in the arrest of Paul, from where he is now writing these epistles back to the churches of Asia Minor, actually, the churches of, of uh, Eastern, uh, well, we might say Eastern, uh, Grecia or Eastern Europe and Western Asia, or known to be Asia Minor at that time and, uh, in times, uh, known to be Asia Minor in times past. Well, in any case, uh, this coalition of uh, Jews stirring up uh, angry Gentiles uh, here gets its go not only in uh, Antioch, that's in Pisidia, from which they flee, but also here in Iconium. Uh, Long time, therefore, abode they speaking, uh, boldly in the Lord, this is Acts chapter 14 verse 3, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands, that is by the hands of the apostle Paul, uh, the apostles Paul and Barnabas. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the gentiles and of the jews with their rulers to use them that is paul and barnabas despitefully and to stone them they became aware of it and fled into lystra and Derbe, cities of lyconia and unto the region that lies round about and there preached the gospel now the region that lies round about lyconia includes uh, the region of Colossae. This would be, Lyconia would be of Asia Minor or what is today Turkey. It would be the the part that borders on the south portion of the Black Sea and so it would be northeastern uh, Turkey today. Now the the, the area where Colossae is and uh, therefore Laodicea and Hierapolis that triad of cities is a piece of the very far east coast of Turkey, bordering uh, to the north on the Black Sea, but substantially to the uh, to the bordering on the uh, uh, to the west of of, uh, of Western Turkey, uh, to uh, bordering on the Aegean Sea, uh, across from which and across that sea, which flows immediately into the Mediterranean. In fact, it's indistinguishable except for its northern proximity. On the opposite side of that is Greece, on the opposite coast of the Aegean. So here, the region round about Iconia, Lyconia, uh, is includes uh, Colossae, and there they preach the gospel. It says in Acts chapter fourteen, verse seven, and we can be relatively certain that, uh, in in uh, as a consequence of this work, the gospel was preached in in in. Uh, in Colossae, well, also the work that goes to Ephesus. Ephesus, very close, one of the one of the cities that makes up kind of a horseshoe configuration. Uh, that is the that are the seven churches in the book of the Revelation. So, if we also will look at the book of the Revelation, we can see that there are at the beginning of that uh, book, at the beginning of the prophecy, that is the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ to, to John. We know that there are letters to the angels of seven churches, all these churches in Asia Minor, all, all quite uh, near each other, and by the way, forming a horseshoe uh, in Asia Minor. And these letters trace the geography of that, of that horseshoe, or of that horseshoe shape. Uh, beginning, we might say, at the bottom of the left portion of the horseshoe, we have uh, the first letter uh, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, and then as we move north on uh, north and then east, eastward on that leg of uh, the horseshoe, we also have Smyrna, which is not far away, a much bigger city. Uh, we have, uh, at least today, uh, we have Smyrna. And then we have Pergamos, which is a fascinating city. And at some point we'll be talking about Pergamos, the kingdom of Perga, uh, and what was going on in Pergamus, also known as Bergama today and Pergamum in times past. Uh, And that will have no doubt uh, had a major impact, the characteristic of that city had a major impact on the epistle to the Colossians, which impact we'll uh, we'll come to. Then as you go to the uh, other, uh, as we are on the top of that horseshoe, uh, we come to uh, Thyatira, and then we go down the right-hand side, and we have uh, Sardis, and we have Philadelphia, And we have Laodicea, and Laodicea, as we said, is the rich portion. It is the very wealthy group, uh, the very wealthy community that forms the three cities within not very many miles of each other, six to ten miles of each other, uh, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. Hierapolis having a military function inside the Roman Empire, uh, but Laodicea certainly being the most populous and the, mo- the most populous and the most wealthy of these communities, and then Colossae, uh right there with it, uh, certainly significant uh, as a source of uh, water uh, for those areas. And if you know about uh, geopolitics, you know nothing happens without water. Uh, But uh, smaller in significance to the Roman Empire, smaller in significance economically, but of course scripturally, because we have this marvelous epistle to the Colossians, uh, very significant. Uh, spiritually speaking. Now, one of the things that we can compare and contrast here, we have one comparison to make of the epistle to the Colossians with the epistle to the Galatians. And as we look at the structure of the entire uh, New Testament, especially these nine epistles which we see uh, fitted together here, uh, we see the epistle to the Colossians standing, as it were, Uh, to the epistle of Ephesians as the epistle to the Galatians stands to the epistle of Romans. So we might just say uh, we have a bit of an equation here, we have a proportion, we have uh, Romans is to Galatians as Ephesians is to Colossians. Well what do I mean by that? Well what I mean by that is that there was a certain agitation in Galatia by the Judaizers uh, trying to prop up the mosaic economy when its work was finished, and to undo doctrinally in the lives of the Christian believers the intention of the Ro- of the Epistle to the Romans, and so the enmity against the solid teaching of the Roman of the epistle to the Romans, which is substantially a doctrinal epistle, was fought off and corrected in the epistle to the Galatians because an error was emanating out of Judaism and reaching those churches. So here with the epistle to the Colossians, we have error rising up out of not just Judaism but also out of the Gentile religions. Out of the old pagan religions, and here Colossae and that whole horseshoe configuration uh, that we've talked about, that are that form the portion of Asia Minor attaching near, uh, next to, or in the uh, what would be, was anciently known as the kingdom of Perga, uh, was the center and heart of the pagan religious system. In fact, there is substantial uh, uh, study. Uh, so certain scholars have pointed out that the ancient Babylonian religion uh, got its movement into Rome through Pergamus, as it were, the Kingdom of Perga, a holding category, a place where that religion could settle nicely until it could find its way uh, into the what we today know as the Roman system, or the Roman religious system. Uh, well, whether this is factually true or not, we certainly do see in the ancient Kingdom of Pergamus. Uh, we do see the uh, effects of ancient Chaldean religion because there was the foundation of the first uh, school of medicine and of course anytime we see a school of medicine an ancient school of medicine or hey, maybe even a modern school of medicine anytime we see uh, something like that uh, we should also be thinking of the of the ancient pagan religions which got substantial amount of their go from uh, the Uh, from the so-called medical systems of that day, which were substantially religious. And I would tell you that today our medical system uh, is substantially religious uh, also. And we not only have that, but we have in Pergamos, which is in the kingdom of Perga, we have what is said in the epistle to uh, to the epistle to the angel of the church that is in Pergamos. Uh, we have Satan's seat found there, and uh, Satan has a seat. Satan has a seat of power. He's the god of this world. He has a seat of power. Uh, maybe you thought it was in Rome. Maybe you thought it was in Babylon. But at the time of the writing of the epistle, to the, or uh, of the book of the Revelation, including the epistle to the angel of the church at Pergamos, uh, the Satan's seat is said to be in. Pergamum. Now, whether that is a future st- statement or a past statement or, as I believe it is, a both statement, a statement of uh, both of the past and of the future, uh, nevertheless, it is that statement, and that is the region uh, in which we find Colossae. And no doubt that is the heart of the pagan religion that impacts uh, the need for the writing of the epistle to the Colossians. Well, just as the Galatian heresy attacked the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation uh, that uh, results in the wonderful opportunity that we have to receive eternal life life, uh, by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, uh, marvelous uh, thought that that is, contended by the Epistle to the Galatians. so the work of the Lord Jesus Christ attacked there. Uh, in Colossians, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ attacked. Uh, the, the, the person uh, of his Godhead attacked by the pagan religions who seem to have a better idea about such things. Well, when we come into this epistle, we're going to find out from certain highlight verses that the Apostle Paul's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knows it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile, and he'll take on uh, this uh, heathen uh, teaching concerning the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll straighten it out in powerful words, using the very language of the pagan religions, and that's one of the fascinating pieces of the Epistle of the Colossians, and we're going to come back to it in just a minute. You're listening to BibleStudy.net, and I'm John Malone. Well, just as the Epistle of the Colossians stands doctrinally in a a positional place that's important and of note, it also, uh, the uh, location of the Colossians, geographically, stands in a position of note, close as it is to the, as we've said, to the uh, heathen religions of the ancient world, which uh, attempt to permeate and destroy Christianity, it stands geographically on the edge of Asia Minor, where the Gospel was given fully during the time of the apostle but since since which time the Gospel has been substantially shut out, and it stands on the very western edge of the eastern world the, the in that respect. It stands as a contrast to the Epistle of the, of the of Philippians, the Philippian Epistle, which we've just completed, which stands on the very eastern edge of the Western Empire. Now the story of Christianity through history, and I don't think this can be disputed, although uh, recently I did have a, a certain cult member, from the, member of, from the group of Sun Myung Moon uh, try to contest it with me, uh, that Christianity sub- substantially moved to the West. And, of course, we had that figured in the Macedonian call when the apostles would have gone to Bithynia. There they were at Mysia, and they would have gone uh, to Bithynia, but the Spirit forbade them. And then they heard the man of Macedonia say, Come over and help us, and the Word of God turned to Macedonia. And as the great J. Vernon McGee preached one time, he said, Well, and that's why, friends, we in America are not Hindus but we're Christians and why it is that we've enjoyed uh, the great prosperity and the, uh, and the great uh, advances, of uh, social advances, that accompany knowing the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, so the Colossian epistle here now has an Asian flavor and an Asian bent, whereas the Philippian epistle had a Western flavor and a Western bent. And uh, this is, uh, I think, something not very well uh, noted today. Uh, the geopolitics of the Word of God, uh, as the Eastern influences have begun to now predominate in the West, and we're in what people call the post-Christian or the post-modern age, whatever it is. Well, it's actually, uh, instead of giving it such titles that are value-free or that might even be uh, somehow uh, graceful or gracious, let's just call it now that we're in the time of the apostasy away from the faith. That uh, is because of substantial Eastern influences. And I'll point out to you that the Bible seems to indicate that those influences against Christianity are a confluent influence, uh, both of uh, Jewish uh, religion, the Jews' religion, which is not Christianity, which was rejected by every godly Jew, uh, as they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, and ancient pagan religions which of course are also equally hostile to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to the Colossian epistle, uh, we're really looking at attacks and defense against the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in order to understand some of the attacks against the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to know a little bit about the heathen religions, or it helps us, let's just say, helps us to know something about the heathen religions. Well the heathen religions, known as Gnosticism, or the, uh, the, the mystery religions, called the mystery religions, uh, were, were distinct for a few reasons. One of the main distinctions of Gnostic, or the mystery religions, is that it set forth two groupings of people inside the religion. Two groupings of people, the initiated and the uninitiated. Now, you may say, well, there's two groupings of people in Christianity, too, isn't there? There's clergy and then there's the laity. Well, it's become that way, friends, but it was never intended to be that way. You remember the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Matthew in teaching his disciples, he said, call no man on earth your father. You have one father in heaven and you are all brethren. He also said, don't call anybody on earth doctor, don't call anybody on oh, that's the word for master by the way. Don't call anybody on earth teacher or master. He says, you're all brethren, and so the Lord Jesus Christ told us in his prefiguring of what the church on earth was going to be, is that it would not be marked by some kind of dual-layered system of the insiders and the outsiders, or the clergy and the laity. And You may say, how did it become like that? Well an enemy has done this, and this is substantially the work done by the religious influences upon Christianity much of what we think is biblical Christianity is really a, a is oftentimes a perverted form of bible Christianity when any you uh, go away from the bible in your christian in your christian practice it becomes perverted and it's influenced by religious forms whether it's the gentile or mystery religion religious forms or the Jewish religion forms, or some amalgam of both. Either way, uh, then then you get some kind of perverse Christianity. Well, this now to to give us background to help us understand the Epistle of the Colossians. These these mystery religions by the Gentiles are very very ancient religion indeed. In fact, it goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. At the at the time after the flood, God had determined that he would never destroy the earth by water again, every living thing. And he had to make good on that promise. And in order to do that, he had to keep men from becoming as wicked as they did from the time of Cain and Abel to the time of the flood. Well, one of the ways that God decided to do that was he picked a family inside Noah's family. He picked the family of Shem to keep his tabernacle. And then he determined that he would spread men out across the whole face of the earth. Well, they refused to do that. When God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and spread out over the entire land mass, uh, a rebellion rose up against the family of Shem and the tabernacle of Shem, which God gave to Shem, were the tents of Shem, the tabernacle, God's tabernacle, God's dwelling with men that he committed to the household of Shem. And uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the sons of Cush, in fact Nimrod, arose up. And uh, became a mighty hunter before the Lord in rebellion against that order. And if you'd like to know more in detail about what we think about that, if you go up on a website, uh, we have uh, a pamphlet there, and it's a detailed pamphlet about the uh, the rebel of Babel, Nimrod. And you're welcome to download that and print it out and read it, or just read it online in your Acrobat Reader, Word document, or however you care to do that. Uh, That's at www.biblestudy.net. But in any case, uh, in order to rebel against God, who had his tabernacle with Shem, there had to be created a competing religion. And that was the foundation of the uh, Babylonian religion there at the Tower of Babel. And God busted up that project. He broke up that religion by changing their speech and by and then therefore med by men, because they couldn't get along with each other, because they couldn't speak the same language, they spread out on the earth, not willingly according to God's decree, but according to the uh, necessities of life that were created by the confusion of languages. And then God broke up the landmass, which was one, at one time a single landmass, he broke it up in the days of Peleg, and he kept men separate from each other, and that's how he put in the interval of the 4,000 years to today so that men could not go about doing as much evil as they wanted to do. But that Babylonian religion which had its start all in one language at Babel uh, went out across the whole earth and you'll find vestiges of that religion in all societies, albeit uh, they have grown about in different forms. But uh, some characteristics of the form remain and uh, one characteristic of the form is the division between uh, the initiated and the uninitiated. And then there will be a form of initiation that takes place to allow the uninitiated to become the initiated. And, of course, these ancient religions, these mystery religions, are marked by uh, men's incredible lust after power over one another. And so you'll see quite a hierarchical fighting that goes on, but uh, the initiation rite becomes a very important aspect of this. And in, as ancient religions have developed uh, across each society, you will find that these initiation rites can even uh, be uh, rites, well, and generally they are rites, that directly attempt to bring about the demonization of the initiate. And, of course, these demon religions, these mystery religions, are run by the teaching of angels. We'll see that in the Epistle of Colossians. It'll teach us exactly that. That angels actually head up, angels in rebellion against God, head up these religions, and all br- and with the intention of bringing worship to themselves, and consummately worship to the head of the uh, angels against God, worship to Satan, who will finally attain his goal on earth when he raises up the counterfeit savior, the man of sin, or the counterfeit Christ or Antichrist. Well, these these mystery religions, which had their focus during the time of the writing of the uh, uh, epistles in Asia Minor, specifically even in Pergamos, and in and around there, the ancient Chaldean religion, which got their great rise in preeminence, during the time of Gentile world power in in Babylon, Persia and Greece. Emperors came and went entire empires came and went the Babylonian Empire well the Syrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire and the Greek Empire they all came and went but one thing that remained was the pagan religions and they all found footholds if you'll read the book of Daniel you'll see the, the uh, Chaldean religion just smoothly transitioned right from right from Babylon to Persia. These Chaldeans also found favor with Alexander the Great, and he maintained much of the religious system of the Babylonian religious system that uh, came to him when he occupied Persia. And then this 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 religious system, this mystery system, continued during the Roman Empire, but didn't take hold uh especially didn't take a real firm hold uh, in Rome until oh sometime after the Lord's time, always trying to take hold, but the Roman Empire came substantially religious and even became even got to the point of emperor worship uh, through the influence of these demon religions and it took its form with the formal creation of the Pontifex Maximus. Uh, in Rome, uh, t- which predates and uh, uh, our own uh, witnessing of the papal system of Rome. So, well, these mystery religions not only had a division between clergy and laity, and not only had a systematic demonization of the initiates, but it also had a theory behind it. It also had a theory of knowledge, falsely so-called, behind the religion. And the religious theory was rooted in fables. And the fable of the religious theory, the fables of the religious theory, had to do with the origins of things, who created things, and how things came into being. And it had eons and eons, and it had emanations of, of uh, angelic emanations of eons that were creator beings and so forth. I won't get into all those details today, but only to say that the ancient pagan religions are not so different from our secular humanism of today. You may wonder, for example, why it is uh, that so-called evolutionism, it's not Darwinian, Darwin was rejected by his own generation of scientists, by the way. You may wonder why this thing, when it's been thoroughly discredited scientifically in every generation when it's been taught, why we still have this kind of teaching. Well, that's because religious teaching doesn't go away with uh, observation or with truth. A religion outlasts truth and there is nothing about truth that will take away from a religion. This is why I will claim to you, and I will insist, that Christianity is not a religion. Uh, Christianity is the truth. Religion is man's way to God. Or man's way, actually, literally, it's man man's way to be as God's. Because it is uh, finally, at the end of the day, uh, that is what Satan's plan for man is, is to persuade man that he can be like God and to throw off the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the entire world uh, and follow after that lie of Satan. That's what he started with Eve, and that's what he'll be finished with at the time of the end. Well, during this time of great apostasy that we witness as the Christianized world is abandoning the faith at a record pace, isn't it wonderful that we have the grace of God and the liberty to look into an epistle like Colossians, which has become so entirely relevant to us, and we might say not only become, but it has remained so entirely relevant to us today to help us to understand uh, God's answer uh, to these uh, awful statements uh, by pagan religions. Now, because the ep- epistle to the Colossians stands next to, as it were doctrinally next to, the epistle to the Ephesians. We're not going to understand it very well if we don't understand at least something about the epistle to the Ephesians. Uh, the ep- Ephesian ep- epistle is a great doctrinal treatise uh, which stands to be corrected here. Uh, the the epistles not corrected but the Christians uh, trying to understand that epistle are corrected here uh, in the epistle of the Colossians it's an adjunct doctrinal statement to bring them back to the truth of the epistle to the Ephesians and what is that truth but it's the great mystery of the church which is the body of Jesus Christ so we have the Lord Jesus Christ's body his physical body in the heavens by the way my friends Uh, don't you feel averse whatsoever in talking to people about the physicality and materiality of the Lord Jesus Christ in the heavens today. I find uh, that very few Christians are making that emphasis to people they talk to. They ask them if they're saved, they ask them have they received Jesus into their heart, but they don't ask them what they believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm aghast to find quite very many people who call themselves Christians almost immediately denying the materiality of the Lord, the physical resurrection of the Lord, and his physical return. These are two tests given to us in Scripture, by the way, to see if someone's in the faith. We're not fruit inspectors, but we can know their faith by listening to what they say, and you can know my faith by listening to what I say, and I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus Christ is in the heavenlies right now in a body. And if we could find our way there, which God won't let us find our way there, but if we could, we'll, we could touch Him now. And when we see Him, He'll be a, as He'll be coming back just the way He left. And He left in a body that ate a fish, and He left in a body that could be touched and held, and He left in a body with wound prints uh, that could be seen and Otherwise investigated by the senses. And this is our Lord Jesus Christ. He's in a physical body, but He also has His church, the body which is his the church which is his body and this now we might call his mystical body or his mystery body or the body of his mystery this mystery disclosed in the epistle to the Ephesians among a few other things and it is the apostles intention in writing this epistle to the Colossians that they would be diligent to enter into that truth and all the correlated truths and all the correlated responsibilities that are consigned with that truth to them That's the purpose of his writing. Well, this is John Malone. You're listening to BibleStudy.net, and we'll be right back to finish our introduction to the epistle of the Ephesians after this brief announcement. So we have this grand epistle to the Ephesians, which we're supposed to understand the truth that came out of it, and so the epistle to the Colossians is written uh, to bring us back to those thoughts, but what is it about the epistles that, that, what is it about this epistle that brings our thoughts back to the Ephesian epistle, and what is it that happens that takes our thoughts away from the grand truth of the Ephesian epistle? Well, here's exactly how that goes. The Ephesian Epistle shows us that our standing is in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. In fact, it's a very heavenly epistle throughout It tells us that our standing is heavenly. It tells us that our that our that we're seated in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, that we sit in a heavenly place. It teaches that we walk in a heavenly way, that we walk in works that are prepared for us to walk in because we are chosen in Christ Jesus from before the foundation of the world, and that God has foreordained, or he has predestinated us to glory, and he has prepared history around the Lord Jesus Christ, and marvelously also around us, so that we can walk in works that are prepared for us to walk in. And so we understand that we have a broad and an important place in the history that God has created, and I say the history from both a future and a backwards uh, a perspective with God, history, and the future and the present are all one, and we see something of that in the grand epistle uh, to the, uh, the called the Ephesian epistle, the uh, the epistle to all of us, but called an Ephesian epistle we see it there because we're seated in the heavenly places in Christ and Christ is outside time and Christ is beyond space and we can see therefore we're given the perspective of the end from the beginning both in terms of time and we're given a truly global or universal perspective because we see the grand purpose of God's creation including time now with those grand thoughts seated in the heavenly places with the notion that we're to walk in a heavenly way, uh, that 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 works are prepared for us to walk in, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we should walk in them, and that this is our predestination. We also realize that we're to stand against a heavenly warfare. And so all is heavenly in the epistle to the Ephesians. We have a heavenly sitting, we have a heavenly walking, we have a heavenly standing, and we're to Fight against wicked spirits in heavenly places. So what would be an enmity against that? Well, it would be earthward movement. It would be uh, uh, worldly things, worldly thoughts. We have these heavenly thoughts in Ephesians. What can bring us down from that? Only worldly thoughts, and so the attack against the Christians, against the Colossian Christians, the brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Uh, this the the great enmity is against them, or are the rudiments and the elements of this world. It is the vain philosophies of this world, the religions of this world, uh, including the vain philosophies of this world, which go by the moniker of knowledge, falsely so called have destroyed Christian faith ever since the time of the writing of the New Testament as it's come, become called, as it is so called. And by the way, part and parcel of the rudiments of this world are rituals and ceremonies and all manner of rites and practices which <clears throat> may have appealed to the senses, which can deceive our minds, but which are of no power against the flesh, and which have nothing to do with Christianity. I'm appalled and I'm amazed that rites can be created so easily and Christians just dive right into them. I am appalled, for example, that Christians are brought into ridiculous rites, ridiculous ceremonies that are merely made up and have migrated their way uh, into Christian practice. And now I'm going to hit on a couple of things that I'm sure are very popular with you. Uh, What about our Christmas practices? What about our Easter practices? What about our Uh, other religious practices. Some of you are doing All Saints Day, some of you do change it into All Bible Characters Day or whatever, or a Saint Valentine's Day, or other uh, uh, kinds of religious holidays. Witness Day became Christmas Day and all this all this manner of celebration of rite and ceremony. None of this is out of the heavenly perspective of the epistle to the Ephesians. Now uh, you may say, "Well, what harm do these things do? Well, besides, take your perspective away from a heavenly perspective and pollute you with a worldly thought and introduce ceremony and ritual ceremony and ritual practice." Uh, into your life instead of faith, uh, let me say that this epistle the Colossians will tell you exactly what it does as you begin to rely on these kind of things for power against the works of the flesh and you'll find out that in fact they are totally powerless. Uh, Now this uh, epistle is going to warn us uh, not to be corrupted by the vain philosophies also that are extant in this world. And uh, <clears throat> that, of course, is something that we all become subject to, and some of us pay exorbitant fees to make sure that our children also become subject to them. Well, these kind of corrections that we'll see in the epistle to the Colossians, uh, the apostle hopes are well received because his purpose in writing them is to make, is as he writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Maybe you say, well, that's the same old thing. Boy, you sure hit on that theme a lot, that we're supposed to be pleasing to God here today so that we'll be pleasing to God when we face our Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat. And let me just remind you that I'm not teaching out of the same passages every day. I'm teaching out of different epistles every day, and that's just how often we find this theme cropping up. This is the overriding, overwhelming theme of the New Testament Scriptures to the believer, that we would walk worthy of the Lord, as it says in verse 10, unto all pleasing, that we would please Him. That is our hope. Our hope, we have one hope. All Christians only have one hope. We have one hope of our calling. And the hope of our calling is that we would walk in such a way, that we would live in such a way that is pleasing to the Lord, that we might be bold today and show forth that He is pleased with us, To show his approval of our lives to others and to ourselves today. And so that in that day coming, when we see our Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, we won't be ashamed of him and... He won't be ashamed of us, and that we'll have boldness at his coming instead of shrinking back in shame. Well, that is the intention of the apostle in all the epistles he writes. He writes to the believers so that they would realize the one hope that we all have. And friends, when faith turns to hope, it's because faith turns around. Faith looks back to our Lord Jesus Christ's finished work, and finds the foundation of the faith, with no man can lay other than what is laid, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we receive the gift of God, which is eternal life, because we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now having eternal life, we turn and we look the other way, and we look to the future where our hope, unrealized as it is, still stands steadfast and sure. And the apostle now says that you would walk worthy. This is the, th- the theme. This is the reason that he wrote Colossians, that they would walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, let me say that knowledge of God is very important, that we cannot grow in grace except that we grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing we have to do is grow up and realize that not everything we hear, not everything that we're taught by smart people, not everything that seems reasonable to our minds is necessarily of God, but that we have to check everything and allow everything to pass. Un- in- that we have to put everything in the crucible Crucible, that is the Word of God. After all, the Word of God itself has been put in the crucible by God. Uh, it has been put in a furnace of fire. Uh, uh, these words of the earth, which comprise the Holy Scriptures, have been put in a furnace of fire and tried seven times. So we ought to at least, if God put every word in the furnace seven times, we ought to at least read them uh, at least one time, and so and and really more than one time because the, they are pure words. And of course, he said in verse eleven, "strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness." Now that we found in the that we find in the first chapter uh, to the Colossians, and of course the concern that the Paul, the apostle Paul, has. Is that that we won't be unblameable, that we won't become blameless and unreprovable in his sight, but that we'll be to blamed, will be to blame, and that we'll be re- needing reproving by him. Uh, and so uh, uh, that we find it toward the end of the first chapter, and he says that won't happen if you continue in the faith grounded and settled, verse twenty three and be not me- moved away from the hope of the gospel. "...which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, where have I, Paul, am made a minister." And when we get to that passage, we'll look at a couple things about it more particularly. But notice that he's saying, don't get moved away from the hope of the gospel. You've heard the gospel, you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, now don't get moved away from its hope. Well, that's the reason why he is writing this. And then one of the central truths that he's writing comes in Colossians 2, actually two of them, first in verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Now here's the problem, you can be spoiled. Not you can't be lost, but you can be spoiled. Well what does it mean to be spoiled? Spoil doesn't mean to become rotten, it means to, to, to to lose that which is coming to you, to lose that which you have. The Lord told a parable about a strong man. He says, when the thief comes, see first he binds the strong man. First he binds him. And then he spoils his house. Well, to be spoiled is to be robbed. So this corresponds to let no man take your reward. Be, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men and the, and the rudiments of the world. Now what is the problem with these traditions of men? Ceremonies, rites, uh, rudiments of the world, what's the matter with them? You say, well there's no harm in them. I hear it all the time. There's nothing the matter with this. This is just something we like to do. Quit bothering me. I have liberty to do this. Well listen, what's happening is you're being robbed of your reward. You're being spoiled. You're being robbed by philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, because you don't need these things. You are complete in him. In fact, that's what it tells us in verse 10 of Colossians 2. You are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Verse 6 of Colossians 2 teaches us uh, this marvelous truth. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And of course, this is what makes Colossians so much like Galatians. Galatians were uh, dealing with a more pointed error, a more specific error, perhaps one better known uh, to us. Uh, They were being pushed into Judaism they were pushed being pushed into Jewish practice now they were being told okay fine you've you've matched up with the faith of Abraham now step up here to Moses and keep the law so that you can grow up and of course that's not the way they received Christ Jesus the Lord they didn't receive Christ Jesus the Lord by the by the law and by following the law of Moses but by the faith of Abraham and so here now colossians are told look as you've received christ jesus how's that by grace through faith will you continue to walk that way and not according here in, here in place of the jewish religion don't be walking according to philosophies and vain deceits and the traditions of men." christian friend the christian life is marked with enmity against it the christian life is a piece of swiss cheese there are a lot of holes you can follow there's a sea of holes that you can fall into and uh, don't don't just walk right in there and if you find yourself in there listen to me go back to the way that you received christ jesus the lord by simple grace through faith and walk in that way yeah, so here are things to be avoided. That's the second chapter of Colossians telling us all about that. And then it warns us about world worldliness, because these philosophies of the world and the traditions of men will bring us to a worldly point of view. Pretty soon our thoughts won't be in the heavenly places in Christ. We won't be having a heavenly perspective. We'll be having uh, an earthly perspective. But if we have a heavenly perspective, then we'll have Colossians 3. If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. We've got to keep a heavenly focus and a heavenly perspective. And, uh, of course, uh, the problem is uh, the earthly thoughts come in, the earthly methods come in, the earthly traditions come in, they make the Word of God of none effect. And the next thing you know, instead of... Soaring in the heights of the heavens with our Lord Jesus Christ, we're toiling at rowing in the seas of turmoil here on the earth, Uh, we're pushing our wagon across the dirty, dusty earth, and we find our whole perspective becoming worldly and earthly. Well, this now is the reason for the Epistle of the Colossians. And if you find yourself bogged down with worldliness, if you find that your mind has lost its heavenly edge, read along and study the Epistle of the Colossians and, hey, why don't you go through this study with us? Why don't you meet us here, whether it's online and, and, or, or on your radio station? Uh, every day or go ahead and order from us on our website uh, these messages as they come out. Why don't you go through the epistle of the Colossians with us because I know that God will bless your meditation in his word as you study the epistle of the Colossians. Well, this is John Malone. You're listening to BibleStudy.net and we'll, uh, may God bless your meditation until next time.